Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I am your host, Archie Mitchell, and this is episode 45 of our weekly show. And I want to thank you guys, as always, for tuning in and joining me as I dribble and complain and love and hate and back and forth with this thing that we call professional wrestling. (coughs) We are exactly one week away from WrestleMania, and we have got a lot going on on the road to WrestleMania. Some of it doesn't have to pertain to the actual card. Some of it does. But let's go ahead and get into it. (sighs) Quick hit number one. Well, wait. I already cracked open mine. You crack open your favorite frosty beverage and sit right back and relax as I spew my venom, my hate, and my love for the world of professional wrestling uh, or sports entertainment, depending on where you lead on the ladder of that um, fight. So quick hit number one, the Briscoe brothers won the NWA Crockett Cup this past weekend. Now, if you recall last week, I spoke about the Briscoes possibly not being able to be hired uh, by AEW because um, Turner executives and others were holding it against Jay Briscoe for his uh, homophobic slurs and uh, downright, um, you know, paranoia of gay people. Uh, This was done many years ago. Jay has since apologized now twice since these uh, words were said, and he's uh, trying to prove that he has grown as an individual as well as to get himself and his brother hired by any company, whether it be AEW or the WWE, I guess. Uh, But they did find some success in the NWA. Jay is looking to make things better. And I want to say that there is no tag team that I can honestly say that I have been watching since the very birth of their careers as it pertains to anyone else but the Briscoe brothers. I remember watching these two young kids debut in Rowway, New Jersey at all Jersey Pro Wrestling's two-year anniversary. They debuted in a tag team match against Teddy Hart and Jack Evans. And let me tell you something. The high-flying ability, the innovativeness, the downright daredevil style that I saw from these two young kids, Jay and Mark Briscoe, was unbelievable. And I said that day, yeah, they'll be hired. They'll be, they'll be somewhere. And then I saw them pop up in Ring of Honor, New Japan, and I was like, yeah, they're they're there. They've they've made it to the top of these two companies. They've held these titles, both in New Japan and Ring of Honor, multiple times. Jay became the world heavyweight champion. Mark became the world television champion. They did all they could in Ring of Honor. And I was just waiting for a point of when either TNA Impact or WWE would hire them. Cole never came. It is good to see that these two young men can still kick it into high gear and win uh, very uh, uh, prominent tournaments and titles. Uh, they are the Crockett Cup champions. I have no doubt that they will now be challenging for the NWA World Tag Team Champions. And I hope that maybe somebody there over at Turner Broadcasting or Warner Publications or whoever takes notice that Jay Briscoe has apologized and allows he and his brother to at least get a tryout for AEW because the implications of FTR versus the Briscoe Brothers Another Young Bucks versus the Briscoe Brothers feud. Um, The Hardy Boys versus the Briscoes. And so many other great tag teams. Is unbelievable to me. As also well with that revolving 
forbidden door, the Briscoes can come and go and face anyone that is allowed to go through that forbidden door. So congratulations to the Briscoes. I hope to see continued success from them. And I am definitely happy to see that these two young men have at least made good somewhere in the world of professional wrestling. Number two, The Undertaker making news again uh, with the younger superstars in the World Wrestling Federation and in other companies on the negative side of things. Because once again, The Undertaker has gone off and said that today's talent is soft. He admitted Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, and Randy Orton from that list and said that those are the only three real actual wrestlers left in the company of the WWE and the only three that he sees still willing to put their bodies on the line and actually fight in the ring. He said that everyone else, though, seems like they're just going through the motions. They're doing ballet moves. They are uh, watching themselves very carefully as not to get injured. Now, here's the thing. This is the only thing I will say I understand. Watching yourself to get injured, that's a very big thing. Nobody wants to spend half of their career always injured. You look at a guy like Rey Mysterio, you look at a guy like Jeff Hardy, Daniel Bryan, Edge, they got injured early. They had to take so much time off. It hurt their careers. So I understand watching yourself not to get injured. But The Undertaker is right. And I've mentioned this on many a podcast before, both this one and the We Can't Wrestle podcast. You hear wrestlers like The Undertaker, like Scott Hall, rest in peace, like Kevin Nash, talking about going into a locker room on their first day when they first broke into the business. And when they did so, they saw guys like Harley Race, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and a bunch of other great older superstars playing poker with cigars in their mouth. Harley Race had a gun behind his chair and a holster. And it was just a grittier, um, older style. That's what The Undertaker means. Wrestlers are losing their grit and their their stronger style. Uh, But uh, quite a few wrestlers um, have come against The Undertaker and called him out, saying that now that he's retired, he should not be speaking about the younger talent because he's not going to be helping them any longer. Uh, Joey Janela cursed The Undertaker out. AJ Styles was pissed off. A bunch of guys went to Vince and bitched and moaned that how could The Undertaker be doing this? You know what? The Undertaker was there for over 30 years. The Undertaker took everything in strive, no matter what was done with his career, no matter how bad the outcome, no matter how great the outcome, he did what was accident. He is a legend. He is allowed to say what he wants. So I don't care if you're Joey, Joey Janela, AJ Styles, uh, or any of the you know countless other superstars that are pissed with The Undertaker. He's allowed to say it, guys. And if The Undertaker's calling you soft, then maybe you need to look at yourself in the mirror a little stronger and see what's wrong. So, quick hit number three, final one here today, and one that is, again, a bit of bad news. Um, last week, we dealt with the passing of Scott Hall, RIP bad guy. This week, we deal with the um, Triple H's announcement a few days back that he is retiring from in-ring wrestling. He will never wrestle again, ladies and gentlemen. He will never get physical in the ring again. Um, apparently, a few months back during an interview with Stephen A. Smith, with Stephanie McMahon by his side, as Triple H was speaking to Stephen, he began coughing and coughed up blood. And this was the beginning of his heart problems and why he's been off of TV, took a lot of his power away uh, to a certain extent. 
and why we haven't seen him on television or anywhere involved in the WWF. Um, Triple H just a couple of days ago said that he was in hard failure, dealing with a lot of different problems, a lot of different issues, and all of those have left him with no choice but to retire from in-ring wrestling. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> Triple H has always been one of my favorites, whether he's a bad guy or a good guy. Healer face, um, telling me, you know, let's get ready to suck it or acting like a corporate uh, sellout. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. The first look I ever got at Triple H was in WCW on an episode of Worldwide when Lord Steven Regal, William Regal, walked out with his new tag team partner, <coughs> a blonde-haired British-looking fellow by the name of <coughs> Tara Rising. Let that stick for a second, folks. Uh, Tara Rising. He came out dressed just like Regal. He still had that Greenwich stuck-up attitude. Mind you, this was before he was Jean-Paul Levesque. They wrestled great together. He stayed on for a few months. <laughs> Excuse me. And then, poof, he was gone. And then he showed up in the WWE with vignettes of being Hunter Hearst Helmsley. The Greenwich snob from Connecticut, whose family believed in uh, putting people down and buying everything they could, and he progressed through his career. Um, I mean, I'm sure all of you have seen it. <coughs> I don't need to go through it with a fine-tooth comb, but whether it was him with China, him with Mr. Hughes, him with Mr. Perfect, winning the Intercontinental title, the tag team titles, the World Tag, the world Heavyweight title, battles with The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, uh, The Rock, Stone Cold, Mankind, um, he was absolutely great in the ring. I don't care what anyone says. He did not further his career by marrying Stephanie McMahon. Yes, he married the boss's daughter, but that didn't mean it helped him in his career. He would have still gotten that same career, whether he married Stephanie or not. And to hear that one of the greats is now being forced to retire sucks. So with that being said, I would like to say to Triple H, thank you for all that you did in the ring outside of the ring with NXT over the last few years, helping to keep the wrestling in sports entertainment, as your father also loves to call it, and helping to keep these young guys in jobs when you were around. Uh, I hope that you get better, and I hope that we at least see you back on TV in some sort of role in the very near future. So, with that being said... We move on to our first show review, NXT 2.0. We start off tonight's NXT by going straight to the ring. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that this is my favorite way to start out a wrestling show. And we've got Roderick Strong taking on Sokoa. This was a physical contest, and both competitors fought as hard as possible. Sokoa showed a technical side and kept Roddy down with an armbar and headlock combo. Strong tried countless times to make a comeback, but the Samoan Savage wouldn't allow it. Sokoa hit his top rope splash and got the win in 11 minutes. A very good opening here by NXT. 
backstage, Indy Hartwell and Parada bickered back and forth about last week and which couple was hotter together. Uh, this is getting a little cringy here, folks. Uh, you know, I know we went through the whole Dexter and Indy thing, and that was great. It was funny. It was it was one hell of a ride to be on. We don't need to do this again now with a whole new set of people and still involving them. It's it's just getting kind of weird. Tony D'Angelo is then set to take on Dexter Loomis. Loomis uses mind games, but D'Angelo fought back with power and a huge belly-to-belly. Loomis cut Tony off and landed a front ward and sidewalk slam. D'Angelo made a comeback and went for his crowbar. Parada tried to stop him, but allowed a referee distraction, and when D'Angelo finally pulled on the crowbar hard enough, nailed Dexter in the head. Tony got the win in eight minutes, and this was another solid matchup, and it told the story. It continued to progress. I was very happy with it. Post-match, D'Angelo called out Ciampa and was answered immediately. Tommaso took out Tony and let his opponent know that at standard deliver, Ciampa will take Tony D out. Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode sent a message to Braun Breaker, and I hope Braun rips Bobby Roode apart later on tonight. We then go to Electra Lopez taking on Fallon Henry. Uh, this is one. Of, this one got off a little sloppy, but they're both still new in the ring, so it's okay. Uh, Electra had control the entire match, but Henry tried and succeeded to get the upper hand and got a two count with a running bulldog. Lopez caught Fallon off guard hit a unique-looking powerbomb, and picked up the win in seven minutes. Not bad. Nothing great here, but not bad. It was a good women's match, and you don't usually hear me defend these women for being sloppy or bocce, but neither one of these girls have that much experience yet, so it's good to see that even though they started off sloppy, they were able to taper off and get into a better realm in the ring. Draco shows Zion that Joe Gacy continues to try to get him to join himself and uh, Harlan. Zion says he has Draco's back if, if and when he needs it. Then we go to the ring for the match I was hoping for, Bobby Roode versus Braun Breaker. Early going, uh, and Roode hit a, a breaker with a backdrop, neck breaker, and slam. Breaker had a spurt of a comeback, but Roode stayed on the youngster. Breaker hit a top row Frankensteiner in a while, let me tell you. This kid continues to show just how much of a Steiner he is. Doesn't matter about the stupid name. He continues to show his power and amazing ability. Um, Rude would come back and hit his DDT, but Breaker kicked out. Rude tried for a splash, but Breaker countered and hit his power slam finisher to pick up the win in 15 minutes. This was absolutely awesome. <clears throat> of course, Rude was going to have the upper hand most of the match because he's the veteran, but Braun Breaker showed off and definitely got the job done. Post-match, Ziggler took Breaker out with a super kick on the ramp and told the youngster he would never get the NXT title back for him. Backstage, Parada and Indy continue to bicker, but Parada says Duke Hudson can beat anyone, so Dexter draws an opponent, and apparently Duke will fight Walter, because I will not call him anything else in the future. Garrison Waller takes on a kid. The quickness of a kid was throwing Waller for a loop for the most part of this matchup. Saga got in the way and uh, tried to get Waller the advantage, but a kid battled back. A-Kid showed great transition from submission moves, and I thought he had Waller, but Waller hit a second-row Russian leg sweep and his rolling stunner to get the win in eight, eight minutes. NXT has definitely amped up the matches this week with time and precision. I'm liking this, and I'm very happy about it. I hope they continue on like this. Post-match, Carmelo says that next week, 
Strong A-Kid and Cameron Grimes will be in a triple threat match, a last stand triple threat match. The winner will be the final entry into the ladder match that we see at NXT Stand and Deliver. Mello also put down a kid, but a kid took out Trick and, in the process, kind of got the fans behind him. Robert Stone and uh, Von Wagner are discussing back, business backstage, and then some new blonde walks up and asks to talk business. Who was that? They never explained it. The Creed Brothers going to take on the uh, Grizzled Young Veterans. Brutus and Julius made short work of Gibson and Drake. A couple of belly-belly suplexes, a leg submission, and a double-team move later, and the Creeds get the win in four minutes. Now, I'm not always down to see a uh, veteran tag team like the Grizzled Young Veterans getting squashed, but the Creeds are pissed off over the last couple of weeks and what's happened to them, so this was definitely needed. Uh, Post-match, someone is destroying the Diamond Mine Gym and texting at the Creed Brothers and uh, Malcolm Evans that... They don't know who they are and what's going on, but eventually they're going to find out exactly who it is doing all of it. Duke Hudson then goes on to take on Walter. Uh, well, this didn't take long. It's Walter versus Duke Hudson. Elbow to the back of the head, club to the chest, and a huge chop to, to the chest, and Walter is beating down Duke Hudson. And he is beating him from pillar to post here, folks. Hudson fought back with a big boot and a German suplex, but only got a two. Walter reverse chop, planted Hudson with a powerbomb and got the win in six minutes. Very good battle of the big men here. Post-match, Walter began to cut a promo, but he mentioned L.A. Knight, and this brought L.A. Knight out to the ring. Walter tells Knight that he is uh, what's wrong with wrestling, too much talk and not enough wrestling in the ring. Knight says he will let's set up a match for stand and deliver, and Dex Walter. Imperium beat down Knight, but MSK make the save. So I'm guessing we're getting L.A. Knight versus Walter at Stand and Deliver. Yes, please. We get a vignette from Cameron Grimes. He says next week is his last chance in this triple threat match. He promised his father uh, that he'd be a champion, but now that his dad has passed, he owes it to him more than anything. Cameron Grimes has transitioned into a great uh, character. He went from being this arrogant, egotistical little brat to then being this eccentric millionaire who was trying to compete with a million-dollar man, to now being a feel-good, family-friendly everyman. I hope that Cameron makes it into the North American title ladder match, because I know what he can do inside of a ladder match. But if not, I hope that NXT does something with him to progress his career. We then go to Dakota Kai and Wendy Cho taking on Kaylee Ray and Io Shirai. Uh, for the Dusty Cup Women's Finals. And a uh, very good back-and-forth main event here. Kay and, uh, and Io held Cho down. Ray slammed Cho into everything she could, and Shirai went to the sky quickly. Cho finally tagged in Dakota Kai, and she let loose on Shirai with a uh, in the middle of the ring. Ray and Cho fought to the outside, and Shirai hit her mute salt on Dakota and got the win in 13 minutes. Very impressed by all four women here. Great job. Post-match, Mandy Rose says there's no way for EO and Ray to beat Toxic Attraction. So Kay, Kaylee Ray, says, well, they're trading their tag team opportunity for a shot at the women's title only. And it's now going to be Mandy Rose, Kaylee Ray, EO Shirai, and Cora Jade in a fatal four-way. All right, great, man. Gigi and, Ken and JC get the night off. 
but we didn't need to have a dusty cup in order to get to this match. A little, little weird, but very good show this week. I must say NXT definitely delivered. Um, the in-ring work and the storytelling was definitely bumped up. I'm giving it a four out of five this week. Well done, NXT. I hope that you continue to do the same next week and at Stand and Deliver. Because remember what I told you guys. If NXT does not continue to deliver uh, on their show quality and at least impress me, I have no reason to watch anymore. And I'm giving it to WrestleMania. If the shows continue like this, then they'll stay on the show. If not, we go all AEW, and that's not a bad thing. It could necessarily be a good thing. Speaking of AEW, it's now time for Dynamite. Starting off the show, going to the ring again, and this is going to be a technically sound match as we have Dax Hardwood taking on CM Punk. And my God, what a battle. Everything they could throw at each other, they did. We saw the Anaconda Vice from Punk, and we saw a sharpshooter from Dax. Neither man would be put down, and they had a counter for each other in every way possible. Dax made one mistake, and Punk locked in another Anaconda Vice, getting the win at the 15-minute mark. Absolutely incredible. <clears throat> Jericho Appreciation Society cuts a promo. Once again, whoever came up with that name should be shot. Says tonight they proved that they're here to beat people up and make each other look good. And it's going to be um, Jericho and Daniel Garcia in tag team action later on tonight. Speaking of tag team action, we now have an eight-man tag. Sting, Darby Allen, and the Hardy Boys taking on the Andrade family. And this one started off crazy with Sting jumping over the top rope and taking out three of his opponents. From there, all eight men took off fighting in different parts of the arena. The Butcher powerbombed Darby Allen down some steps. The Hardys fought Private Party in the ring, and Sting and the Blade were wandering off somewhere. Sting made his comeback to the ring. Jeff was fighting with Cassidy in the stands, and all of a sudden, Sting hit the death drop as Matt Hardy hit a twist of fate. We get a double pin, and at the 13-minute mark, the Hardys and Darby Allen and Sting pick up a great win. Enjoyed this one a lot. Got a lot of feeling there. Uh, there's more to come, and like I said, I can't help but feel that this is going to lead to Sting and Darby taking on the Hardys somewhere down the line. Tony Schiavone then interviews uh, FDR, who aren't happy. They say too many teams are trying to take their spot in the company, and next week they'll show the gun club why they are the top guys. I don't blame Dax and Cash at all. Uh, since losing the tag team titles, they've kind of floundered, so it's time for them to step it up yet again. Uh, we go to tag team action with... Uh, John Moxley and Brian Danielson taking on the Varsity Blondes, uh, Brian Pillman Jr. and Griff Garrison. Another week and another Moxley and Danielson beatdown. This was not a quick squash match, though. It was an eight-man beating. Danielson kicked the hell out of Pillman. Moxley slammed the hell out of Garrison on the outside, and then it happened. Mox put Griff in a rear naked choke. Danielson put on the label lock, and it was over. The way they fight and regal on the commentary, it just keeps getting better and better. I am liking this storyline a lot. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it, but they're definitely getting into a better, solid mode here, and I'm liking it. Post-match, Mox cut a promo, giving praise to Regal and all they've done to gain his respect. Mox also says there's no free rides here, and if you want to stand with them side by side, you must earn your spot. MJF then comes out to cut a, cut a promo and next and discusses CM Punk's and says that they will once again fight down the line. Now, 
I don't know about you guys, but I enjoyed CM Punk versus MJF. And they've had two matches so far. They've each won one. So, yes, down the line, we do need a rubber match between these two. He then says Wardlow is a nobody and always will be. This brought Wardlow out after MJF said one of the most horrible things I've ever heard, and I will not repeat it. I don't know how he didn't get taken off the air with what he said, to be honest with you folks. But Max says he's going to keep paying Wardlow, but to stay home. He then assures everyone the pinnacle is still good, and they will be standing tall next week and prove why they are the best. Tony then interviews Yuta and the best friends backstage. Trent says he doesn't like Yuta, but can't believe he's paying Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor back by joining Regal. And Yuta says he's not paying them back. He says he's trying to be the best wrestler he can, not the best friend that he possibly can. Interesting to see what's going to happen there. And then we go to the match that's actually been three or four years in the making, ladies and gentlemen, because it's Adam Cole taking on Jay Lethal. And the last time these two men, Adam Cole beat Jay Lethal for the World Heavyweight title in Ring of Honor. This was a mad classic with Lethal opening up on Cole with right hands and chops. They both kept each other uh, uh, at bay and had a great match until Red Dragon hit the ring. Every time Lethal got the upper hand, Red Dragon would pop up. Lethal went for the lethal injection, but Cole hit a low blow and then a boom to the back of the head to get the win in 13 minutes. Except for the interference, this was a great match, but I would like to have seen Cole and Lethal go at least 20 to 25 minutes here. We know they're capable of it. Post-match, Adam Cole cuts a promo and says Page doesn't have the guts to face him. Well, Adam Page, the World Heavyweight Champion, hit the ring, whipped Cole and Red Dragon with his belt. Cole got the upper hand. But Jurassic Express made the save, but did not notice that Adam Cole left with the AEW title. Tony then interviews Sammy Guevara and Tay Conte. And um, Sammy says, you know, he lost the title, but he will still put on a show with or without the belt around his waist. Tay says she wants revenge against Paige Van Zandt. And oh, here comes Dan Lambert. Dan spews some BS and says that they'll stay at the top and won't end. Kane a rematch with Sammy or Tay again. Sammy then had the line of the night because Lambert kissed the AEW TNT title. Sammy said, enjoy uh, cleaning up that belt after what Tay and I uh, had uh, fun doing to it. Bit risky there. Shane Strickland and Ricky Stark trade words in a pre-recorded video. Looks like we'll get Strickland and Lee versus Hobbs and Starks down the line. And I'm all for it. Four great competitors one of them uh, a very experienced amazing athlete the other three still rising up and comers let's see it ladies and gentlemen and then we go to red velvet taking on layla hirsch this was 10 minutes of torture i'm going to be honest here because frankly neither one of these women are good very slow very sloppy not needed hirsch got the win and then ran away from chris stadlander again just like on rampage Tony then interviews Jade about her next title defense, but she says she's not worried about that. She's worried about her celebration and how it's going to look. She wants to have a party fit for her queen. Tony then goes on to interview the new women's champion, Thunder Rosa, out in the arena. She is immediately interrupted by Vicky Guerrero and then gets beat down by Nyla Rose. The segment ends just as fast as it began. Not the best way to put over your new champion, in my opinion. And I kind of hope that this is not the way that the title run of Thunder Rosa continues, but 
who knows? It's only the first week. We go to our main event, which is Chris Jericho and Daniel Garcia taking on the Dark Orders, Silver and Ryan Reynolds. Dark Order started things off quickly. Silver with right hands, chops, and a big clothesline. Double team by the Dark Order brings Jericho down, and the champion cannot make a comeback. Silver with the splash on Jericho, but only got a two. Jericho finally countered into a code breaker, took control. Garcia came in, and Jericho nailed Reynolds with a bat, and Garcia applied a scorpion deathlock for a submission victory at the 10-minute mark. Pretty good main event, and a good way to show off the Jericho Appreciation Society, stupidest name ever. Um, I give Dynamite a 4 out of 5 here. Good show, but a couple of bad segments and one horrible match. Still enjoyed it. Again, I think that Dynamite delivered, as did NXT. Um, the, the good definitely outweighed the bad on both shows. So, uh, again, if, if, if wrestling on Tuesday and Wednesday nights continue to fire on all cylinders like we see, I will be in a very, very happy camper, ladies and gentlemen. So, I hope you're enjoying it. I know I am. Let's continue on. Final show review of the evening is AEW Rampage. We come on the air with Lance Archer attacking a young student. Dustin Rhodes rushes down to help, and it's explained that it is Dustin's student from his Rhodes Wrestling uh, Academy. Archer and Rhodes then go to war, both guys just hitting each other, one another back and forth. Neither got the upper hand, as it was suplex for suplex and shot for shot. Rhodes went for a power slam, and Archer countered it into a belly-to-belly. It was an amazing-looking spot. Archer looked for a power bomb, but Rhodes actually rolled him up and got the three out of nowhere in a 13-minute brawl. Post-match, Archer was pissed off and continued his beat down on Rhodes to the point that he was busted open. More of Rhodes' students came out to help, but to no avail. Archer put Dustin through a table and left him laying. Lexi, the new interviewer backstage, interviewed Jay Lethal, asking about his loss to Adam Cole. Lethal says that he has a winning record in AEW, but two losses, and those are to Adam Cole and Ricky Starks, and both had to cheat to win. So it's time for Lethal to reevaluate what's next for him and how to get back those wins. Then from out of nowhere, Fuego Del So cuts a promo, thanking the fans for believing in him and saying that he felt during his match with the House of Black that they were all behind him. He wants to once again get in the ring with the House of Black and acts if you actually will receive, young sir. Lights go out, and we see Matthews, Black, and King all facing this youngster in the ring. And then they all take turns putting Fuego out. The Dark Order run down to try and help Fuego, but they are met on the ramp by the House of Black. Uno exchanges words with Black, who says, Is this what you want? I can't just wait to see where this is going. I have to say. Lexi then once again interviews Scorpio Sky backstage with Dan Lambert. Sky says the open challenge is over, and everyone has to earn the shot that they get from here on out. I like that. The open title match uh, uh, challenge thing was Cody's deal. Sammy continued it. It's better for Scorpio to do his own thing. Let's see who's going to earn a shot from here on out. And then we go back up to the ring uh, for tag team action with uh, Allen Angels and 10 of the Dark Order taking on Red Dragon. Angels tried to go shot for shot with Riley to start this one out, but he could not keep up with him, so he tags in 10. 10 took a turn and takes out Fish and O'Reilly. Nice back body drop by 10 to Fish and a huge clothesline to O'Reilly. Angels tags back in within minutes, 
Red Dragon hits a double-team finisher and gets the win over the Dark Order in 10 minutes. Maybe 10 should have stayed in a little bit longer. <clears throat> Post-match, Jurassic Express make their way to the ring to confront Red Dragon, but Adam Cole snuck down and stole the tag team titles to go along with his stolen world title from Wednesday. I'm wondering what we're getting at here. Um, are we going to end up with a six-man tag for all the gold in AEW, or is Adam Cole just becoming a kleptomaniac? Back down to the ring, we have Nyla Rose taking on Maddie. Rose cut a promo before the match saying she's tired of everyone cheering and uh, making a big deal out of Thunder Rosa. She then beat her opponent in two minutes in a squash match. And then QT Marshall hit the ring and is ready to present a certificate of accomplishment to Hook. What? Hook walks out, saw the frame, and then put Aaron Solo's head through it and walks away. Um, this was actually very funny. As Dan Housen walked out and tried to curse Hook, Hook just pretty much looked at him, turned away, and walked away. Um, I'm, I'm Again, I'm really enjoying the way they are building Hook here in AEW. Uh, we then go to Mark Henry, who does his split screen with our main eventers, and it is uh, Shane Swerve Strickland taking on Ricky Starks. And uh, Shane says that this is his house, and he is ready for Ricky. Ricky says the last house Swerve was in, he got evicted from and he will do the same for him tonight on Rampage. Henry stops him and says, it's time, and we go to the ring. This was a 14-minute innovative battle. Both guys pulled out everything they could. Swerve had control and went to the air off the apron multiple times. Starks kicked out of the pin and kept fighting back. It looked like Swerve might get the win, but Hobbs got involved out of nowhere, hitting him on the outside, putting him back in the ring. Ricky hit the Rochambeau and gets the win at the 14-minute mark. Post-match, Starks and Hobbs tried to take Swerve out, but Keith Lee made the save, and the show went off the air with all four men battling. I'm giving Rampage a four out of five. Nothing bad with it. A little more promo-heavy than I'd like, but the matches were all solid. So, that's going to do it for our show review here on If You Smell What The Arch Is Cooking. And uh, I'm going to let you guys know there is no If You Grind My Gears tonight. There really hasn't been anything that bad going on in wrestling that I think that we need to uh, bitch about it that hard. Uh -huh. I mean, I'm sure there's something, but I'd rather fill you guys in on what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks on the show. Uh, next week's show, which will probably air on Friday night uh, or Saturday night next week, which will be the beginning of WrestleMania. Uh, that is going to be uh, a best of show. What do I mean by that? Well, here goes. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about my top five WrestleManias, my top five WrestleMania main events, and then I will tell you about the entire card for WrestleMania nights one and two and what to expect. And then the following week, we will be doing a two-show extravaganza. I asked. I got my, my answer. WrestleMania is on Saturday and Sunday night, along with the lead-in of NXT on Saturday afternoon. It's going to be kind of hard to fit over 20 matches into one show. You know, I know I could probably do it. I do it with the NXT and the AEW every week, but I want to be able to discuss everything that went on with NXT, WrestleMania Night 1, and WrestleMania Night 2. So what you'll probably see is a show air the following week, which will be night one of WrestleMania of NXT and part of WrestleMania night one. And then the following couple days later, the second show, 
which will be about the remainder of WrestleMania Night 1 and WrestleMania Night 2. So, with that being said, I want to thank you for joining me. Thank you for your continued support of uh, the We Can't Wrestle podcast, uh, WrestleNet Radio, and this podcast right here. Continue to listen to all of our shows, and I'll see you next time on If You Smell, what the arch is 